it really started with a group of us just talking about the people in our lives that have invested in us. And so we saw in our past um, when we were growing up how individuals would really take the time to care about us, to love us, to support us in what we do, um, but also to challenge us, to encourage us in our walks, um, to take the time to um, teach us how to walk with Christ um, and do that with us. It was not a alone thing, um, which I think has been one of the biggest things in my life is when I find those people who walk with you. And so um, I had that in my life, and so it was something I wanted to also give to another because I feel like if I'm being poured into, I need to be pouring out. And so um, I had gotten to know each of these guys, and so we started talking um, and I asked each of them just individually, hey, would you like to do this discipleship thing? And so we uh, agreed to it, and then we began to uh, hang out more and just uh, develop friendships. And then we did, you know, spiritual disciplines together and just pray together. Um, it's amazing, honestly, because, like, when you're having a rough week, um, he's just, like, randomly texts you, and it's, like, right when you're having the rough day, and he's like, how can I pray for you? So you're like hey, here's all this stuff that's been just, like, destroying me during the school week. Because, like, last week, <laughs> rough. It was bad. And he was like, yo, how's it been? So I can just, like, not rant, but I can, like, pour out into him. He's like, man, I got you. And, yeah. It's pretty good because you start, well, I started to see Eric as kind of like a big brother pretty quickly. It's kind of like someone's already walked where you've walked and, Kind of like Slade said, it's like you ever need someone, Eric's there. I would say it's been kind of like a learning experience, just, um, you know, the stuff that he's doing for us. I, I had to ask myself, am I doing this for anyone else? And it wasn't really a no to that answer, but it wasn't a definite yes. And so I kind of had to, it was like a reality check for me. So I've just been trying to be what he is to me, to other people. Which and so to be known and to have people that care about you um, and vice versa is just powerful. Uh, it's something that I noticed about Riverside when I was invited to come. And so I saw how people invested in one another and how they cared about one another. And that was just powerful. And it's one of the things that drew me in um, was to see how people did that here. thankful to Eric and for those guys for making that video. We made that several uh, months ago, actually, and been waiting for the right opportunity. And it seemed like today was a good chance to, uh, to share that as we think about just how important it is uh, for us all to have people in our lives who can invest in us and who we can also invest in. Uh, we've said this as a part of our mission, and I just wanted to share it again this morning as we sort of dive back into this idea. But as a church, we want to create a world here at Riverside where we invest in each other. We're, we live in a world where people have never been more connected, but truly have never felt more alone. So for anyone who wants to create a place where we show up for each other and make each other better, come. Come and experience what life is like when a group of people make an internal investment in the lives of each other. That's kind of what this whole series of belonging is all about. It's this idea that we all need that sense of belonging. We're all searching for that sense of belonging. It's something that's built into our DNA. And the question is, where do you find it? But the question I want to start with today is this question. What are you 
becoming? You think about that very often? What are you becoming? Some of you may know this, especially if you love animals. I had to look some of these up, but I thought you might find this uh, interesting. So a cow by itself is just a cow, right? But you put a cow with other cows and it becomes a what? A herd. Yeah, thank you. you can, this is participation time, so you can feel free to talk back to me. You know, it's really good. Uh, a bird by itself is a bird, but you put it with other birds, it becomes a flock. Yeah, there you go. Um, a goose by itself is a goose, but then with another goose, it's a geese. And then those geese become what? A gaggle. Some of you are really smart. You passed fifth grade. Um, this might be a little more hard. I like this one. A, a crow by itself is just a crow, but a crow with other crows becomes a what? A murder. Yeah. How fun is that? This one is even better. A vulture by itself is just a vulture, but you put it with other vultures, and you know what it becomes? A committee. <laughs> I'm just reading the facts, people. You can Google it. <laughs> I know that our student ministry is fond of rhino, so I looked this one up. A rhino by itself is just a rhino, but you put it rhino with another rhino, you know what that becomes? A crash. That may be why Grayson chose that for our teenagers. I don't know. Um, it's true with people as well, right? By yourself, you're a person, but you get together with, you know, aunts and uncles, mom and dad, cousins, whoever, your kids, and all of a sudden, you're a part of a family. You know, you get together with other, other people, Probably your age or close to it. You get in a room with a teacher and now you become a part of a, a class. Or, you know, I know I'm not the only one that enjoys this. If you go to a large stadium or arena and you get together with lots of other people watching a sporting event, uh, you're a part of a crowd, right? And if you're one of those people, and I don't know anything about this, I just speak from what I've seen on TV, uh, who maybe rip off their shirt and paint their chest and their face and they're high-fiving strangers who are wearing the same colors and screaming at, you know, the, the field before them, you might be known as a fan, which is short for what? Fanatic. And just so you know, again, as a public service announcement, a fanatic is a person filled with excessive and single-minded zeal, right? <laughs> and what happens to us, I think we've all experienced this in different situations, Right? is that when we get around other people, something changes in us. Like we're different. Depending on who we're with, we kind of change and we become different people because of who we're with. And I think it's because there's transforming power by being together with other people. This is why belonging is so important. Because who you belong to and who you belong with really determines kind of who you become or who you are becoming. I, I don't know about you, but as I, as I was reflecting on my own life and thinking about this, I really think who I, I am who I am today in, in large part for two main reasons, right? One, obviously, God and what God has done in my life. That, that, that is a number one huge reason who I am and where I am and what I am today, right? Number two, it's the people. It's the people that God has put in my life and, and that, that I've been surrounded with that have made me who I am today. And this is why it's so important that we think about, you know, who we're around, Back in the day when I was doing the student ministry, I used to tell our teenagers, teenagers all the time, you are who you're with. You are who you're with. You are who you're with. Choose wisely who you are with because you become who you're with. You've got you to be smart about this, about choosing your friends. As parents, we know this little secret, right? That the best thing we can do for our kids is choose their friends. <laughs> you know, maybe without them knowing it. <laughs> but if we can get them in the right relationships, it can change the trajectory of their lives. Because you are who you're with. You become like who you spend time with. It's so important. And you can think about this. As you look back on the history of your life, if you're like me, 
The best moments of your life, the times when you were shining the brightest, where things were going the best, are probably the times in your life when you were surrounded with the right people. When you, for whatever reason, had the wisdom to surround yourself with the right kind of mentors and friends and relationships and people that had come around you to help you in your life. And probably the times in your life that were the roughest, that were the hardest, it may have been because, well, probably one of two things, right? One, you may have completely isolated yourself from anybody and you were trying to go it all alone. Or you had surrounded yourself with the wrong crowd. And because of that, it led to some bad decisions and some things that made your life go sideways. And it's all because this principle is true. You are who you're with. You become like who you spend time with. And that's exactly what's going to happen in the story we're going to look at today. We're going to look at a story in Acts 4. So if you have your Bible, if you want to open up, or if you have an app, you want to turn on and go to Acts chapter 4. We're going to look at it in just a moment. But I want to set up this historical moment and kind of rewind the tape a little bit to tell you what has happened to lead up to this moment. Because the book of Acts, the letter of Acts, is really the story of the church and how it began and how it was beginning and what was happening as it, as it was sort of emerging in the wake of the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. It tells the story of the church as it began. Luke says he wrote all this down and he researched it for his friend Theophilus and was going to send him this letter about, about the church and what was happening in those early days. And according to Luke, it started with 120 believers who were gathered there in Jerusalem. And pretty soon that group of 120 was filled with the Holy Spirit and the church exploded exponential growth to over 3,000 people. And pretty quickly, this, this whole thing, this whole group of followers of Jesus, this thing that was just, it was just growing like wildfire and it was going crazy. And the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem were going nuts. They were frustrated. They were mad. They were angry. And you can imagine why. These untrained, uneducated preachers were coming into their city proclaiming that an executed criminal was God's Messiah, and people were believing their message by the thousands and leaving their church to go join their church. They couldn't believe it. They were furious. They thought they had put an end to this threat when they had lied and bribed their way to to condemning Jesus to death on a cross, but in fact, it hadn't worked. And now his followers are growing by the thousands, and they don't know what to do. They're furious with the situation. They're trying to figure out what's going on, The followers of Jesus are growing by the hour. And in fact, it's growing so much, people are talking. And they're saying that his his disciples, those who were his closest followers when he was walking around, causing them all kind of problems, they say that his disciples had the same kind of power that he had. And they've got that power to, to speak and people listen. They've got the power to heal. In fact, What just happened in Acts 3 before Acts 4, as the story goes, Peter and John, two of his disciples, were walking to the temple, and they saw this lame man laying by the gate. And in fact, he lay there every single day begging for money. And he asked Peter and John for money, like he asked everybody for money. Peter and John didn't have any money. They're preachers. Come on, people. Right? (laughs) They didn't have anything. But they said, what we can do is this. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, Stand up and walk. And what happened was that immediately in that moment, Luke says, his, his legs regained strength. 
His knees began to flex. His ankles felt good. His, his toes began to wiggle. And he stood up and he jumped up and he began running and walking. He chased Peter and John into to the temple. At this point, everybody's noticing that something is, is going, you know, really, really wild here. And a crowd begins to gather, and they recognize this man as the man who's been lame his entire life, is laid by the gate, begging for money every single day. Everybody's asking questions. What's going on? How did this happen? This guy says that Peter and John healed him. Peter and John hear that. They gather the crowd around. They say, listen up. It wasn't us. It was Jesus. This man was healed through the name and the power of Jesus. And this story has gotten back pretty quickly to the religious leaders. And immediately, well, let's read what happens next. Acts chapter 4, verse 1, if you've got it, it'll be on the screen behind me if you don't. Luke says this. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priest, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is resurrection of the dead. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, they put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed, so the number of men who believed now totaled about 5,000. So that group, the original group that had come and accused and arrested Jesus, now comes, that same group comes and confronts two of his disciples. They've come once again trying to squelch this message about this man named Jesus. But so far it hadn't worked. Did you catch it? That group started with 120. It grew to 3,000. And now after this, it's grown to over 5,000 people. And so the religious leaders do what every group does who has power, who is scared to lose power, they use their power to try to bring these people who are causing them trouble into submission. So they arrest them and they lock them up. Verse 5. The next day the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. They, they brought in the two disciples and demanded, By what power and in whose name have you done this? So they bring in the best, the brightest, the most well-educated people to question and cross-examine these two common, ordinary, uneducated people who are causing them tremendous trouble. And their fundamental problem is they can't deny what happened, right? They've seen this same man that they knew was lame walking and jumping and dancing around, praising God and saying Jesus did it. And they can't change the fact that he can walk. But what they're hoping is they can use their power to maybe quiet the message, right? Again, what do people with power do when they're scared? They try to use that power to pull other people into submission. Scared people who have power try to scare people without power. We see this all the time. And it's happening right here in the first story. And I don't know what they thought. I don't know if they thought that Peter and John would recant. I don't know if they thought they would tremble in fear. I don't know if they thought that they would somehow back down because they were afraid of their power that, that oh, by the way, they knew. They, Peter and John knew this is the same group that arrested Jesus. This is the same group that used their power to have Jesus killed. 
I guarantee you those with power knew how the story had gone before, and they were hoping to use that same power again. Making another power play. Verse 8. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was really healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed. He was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. The man, oh, by the way, that you crucified, you can see him pointing his finger right at him, but whom God raised up from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. It was Jesus. It was only Jesus. And you know it was Jesus. And we're not going to stop, 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 stop talking about Jesus. You can bring whatever power play against us you want to. But you need to know we're going to stand here in boldness and in confidence under the power and direction of the Holy Spirit to, to tell you again and proclaim not just to you but to everyone. It was Jesus. It was Jesus. Verse 13. Uh, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness Peter and John. I don't know what the council expected to happen in that moment, but I can pretty much guarantee you it wasn't this. Uh, Maybe their plan A, their best hope, was that Peter and John would quiet down and go on their way and stop making such a racket. Maybe if not that, they could still use their power to somehow influence them, to get them out of town, and maybe calm down this growing problem of Jesus' followers. But they didn't expect this. They were amazed. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. And get this, underline this. If you underline, circle, highlight, whatever, make sure you get this. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Did you catch that? They recognized that Peter and John were two men who had been with Jesus. That is, there is something different about them now. Something has changed in them from the way they were before. There is something different about them. And the reason, the cause of that is because these two men had spent significant time in the presence of Jesus. And because of that time spent in the presence of Jesus, something had changed about them so much so that those with power realized That although they were ordinary, nothing special about them, uneducated, shouldn't have courage standing before us in this moment, men, they had boldness, they had courage, and they weren't afraid because they had been with Jesus. I love in a book called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, Jim Cimbala says this, and it reminded me of this moment. He said, when it comes to spiritual matters, you and I will never know our potential under God until we step out and take risk on the front line of battle. 
We will never see what, what power and anointing are possible until we bond with our king and go out in his name to establish his kingdom. Sitting safely in the shelter of Bible discussions among ourselves or complaining to one another about the horrible state of today's society does nothing to unleash the power of God. He meets us in the moment of battle. He energizes us when there is an enemy to be pushed back. Peter and John. They would have never have known what God could have done in them and through them in that moment had they not have had the courage to live and to speak boldly in the name of Jesus in the moment. And church, I believe with all the confidence in my heart that we will never know what God can do in and through us until we step up with courage and confidence in the name of Jesus and the Holy Spirit of God to speak out and to live boldly for him. There's only one way that Peter and John could stand up under that incredibly difficult circumstances, and you know what it was. There's only one way they could have stood up in that moment under that kind of pressure, knowing that very well that their life was on the line. There's only one way that they could stand up in the middle of that difficulty, and it's because they had been with Jesus. So the question for you and for me today is, Well, it's not what are you becoming, is it? It's really who. Who are you becoming? And this is important for a couple of reasons. It's important, one, because who you're becoming really matters when you face life's difficult moments like Peter and John. Who you're becoming is revealed in those moments when you face difficult moments like Peter and John. Who are you becoming? And when people see you, do they think to themselves or do they even say... Man, it's obvious he, she, is someone that has been with Jesus. There's something different about them now that wasn't true before. And what that is, I can tell. There's a peace about him. There's a boldness about him. There's a confidence. There's a, there's a love about him. There's a witness. There's a story they have to tell. And it's because they have been with Jesus. When I was a kid, one of the things that I loved to do with my dad was to go fishing, and we didn't have anything fancy. We had a little John boat. We'd, we'd put it in the back of his truck and take it to the lake, and we'd pull it out. I mean, there was no trailer. You just lifted it out, and we could sit it down into the water. Had a little clamp-on motor that went on there, load up the boat with all of our, you know, paddles and our fishing rods and all of our stuff. We wouldn't catch anything. We'd just go. But uh, I loved it. We'd go out on the water, and we, we'd turn the motor on and get it cranked up, and we'd kind of go and find a place that looked fishy, at least we thought so, and turn the motor off. And at that point, I'd start getting my hook and line ready and all the good stuff. And Dad, who, who, my dad's one of those guys who can literally do anything, but he had this short paddle he would use. Uh, and with that paddle, he could maneuver our boat really anywhere he wanted it to go. And he'd get us in just the right spot to where we were just the perfect distance away from where we wanted to fish. And he'd pull the paddle up, he'd hook his line up, and we'd start fishing. But you know what happens, right? Either from the wind, the breeze that was blowing that day, or maybe a a mild current on the lake or the river there, we'd begin to drift. And I tell you, in all of our fishing experiences, and all those Saturday mornings and late nights fishing, we never drifted into a good situation. (laughs) We would always drift into the trees, and I hated it, because I was on the front of the boat, you know, and there's spider webs, and I just do not like spiders. And we would drift right into that whole mess, and I'm like ready to walk on water, right? Like, get us back out of here. Or we would drift so far away that we couldn't cast far enough to fish, 
And he had to get his paddle back out, put down his pole, and kind of get us back into the right position, the right situation. You, if you're trying this, it's not going to work. You cannot drift into God's presence. You have to go there on purpose. And if you're just living your life, drifting along, hoping that you're going to become who God wants you to become, to become the the man or the woman of God that you want to become, hoping that you're going to become the son or the daughter of God that he wants you to become, hoping your family is going to become a family that reflects the goodness and the greatness and the glory of God, you're not going to drift that direction. I'm just going to tell you the way it works. You will always drift into the wrong direction. You have to move there intentionally. You have to go there on purpose. And let me tell you, this is important not just for you. Like, this is important for you. This is so important for you. You have to take time to get into the presence of God. But it's not just about you. Your spiritual journey is not just about you. Your spiritual journey also matters because of this church. The ability for God to do whatever he wants to do in and through this church is directly impacted by what you allow God to do in your heart and in your life as an individual. You get this, right? Like We as a church, we as a collective can never become whatever God wants us to become until you and I as individuals get into the presence of God and to become what God wants us to become as individuals. It just won't work. Just imagine two churches, if you would. Two imaginary churches, the first church, filled with really good people, right? Really good people. They come to church every Sunday. They sing all the nice songs. Every week, uh, they, they go about their business, and they're, they're trying to do good in the community, you know? Uh, uh, but at the same time, you know, and, and they would tell you this, they, they, they've got ambitions, they've got dreams. They're trying to climb the, uh, the corporate ladder. They're chasing after the American dream. They're trying to give their kids everything that they could ever want, everything that they never had, give them every opportunity they can. And then they gather back at church on Sunday, and they sing the songs that you and I sing. And they sit there and they catch up on life and how things are going with work and with kids. And they, they celebrate the fact that they were able to give enough money to you know, build a school or dig a well or help someone in need or whatever they did that, that week or that day. And they go to lunch. And it all starts over again. And it's a good church with good people. And they're doing some good things. The second church, second church is full of Similar people, but every week you can find these people not just going about their lives, not just chasing after the American dream or chasing after uh, the corporate ladder or, or whatever anybody else is doing. You can find them in quiet moments and in small but subtle ways, serving people in significant ways in their neighborhoods, their communities, their schools, their work. If you could be a fly on the wall, you would see a lot of them getting up early to read their Bible and to pray. You can see them holding hands at dinner with their kids and saying a quiet prayer to God, giving thanks for his blessing. You can see that this church, a lot of the people in this church throughout the week are seeking God in their own heart and in their own life individually. And then when they gather on Sunday, song leader barely sings the first note and the church erupts in worship. Every voice is lifted, every hand is raised. You can't contain it. You can't explain it. But, but what happens when everybody individually has been seeking God together, then they come together and they praise God collectively, you just can't understand. 
Because God has been working in every heart throughout the week. And then when they gather together, God works again. And when people in that church have been seeking God individually, going into his presence, when they come together in this place, in their church, in his presence, you can see a difference. You can see a difference. It matters. Your spirituality and your journey with Jesus is not just about you. And what God wants to do through us as a church is directly tied to what you allow God to do in you. And here's the truth. That being with Jesus leads to becoming like Jesus. That's true for you individually as a person, as a son or daughter of God. And that's true for us collectively as a church. That when we come together in the presence of Jesus, that we then become like Christ. So I have a challenge for you this week. A next step. My challenge is, if you're not doing this, or if you've gotten out of the habit or whatever, this is not a guilt trip. It's just a challenge to spend 10 minutes a day with Jesus. Just try to give Jesus 10 minutes of your undivided attention. If you need to, put Jesus on your calendar and see if anything more important comes along to knock him off, right? Try to spend 10 minutes with Jesus every day and see if he won't begin to change your life and transform you into the likeness of himself. And it doesn't happen overnight. There's no magic involved. Going into the presence of Christ and being with with Jesus over and over again sort of has this compounding effect, but I guarantee it'll change you. And not only will it change you, but it will change us. You become like who you're with. You become like who you spend time with. My challenge is for you to become like Christ. My challenge is for us to become like Christ. Church, if you would, let's let's stand together. So what do you call a group of believers in Jesus? A group of people committed to the love and the grace, the goodness and the mercy, the boldness and the witness, the compassion of Jesus? Well, Jesus called it his church. And he said this, he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I don't know if you've given that much thought, but gates... Those are there for defense, right? You've seen the movies. You know how this works. When the enemy is attacking, you close the gates and you fortify the wall. Gates are used for defense. That means that the church, my friends, of Jesus Christ is an offense. That means God's kingdom is not done growing. God's spirit is not done moving. God is working in us and through us. He has more to do than we can immeasurably ask or imagine. So we got to get an offense We're not playing defense. That's the devil's job. (laughs) We are on the move. And some churches I know, like some of our football teams that we just can't stand, right? They get a lead, and then they get conservative. 
And they try to maintain that victory and maintain that lead. And they stop, you know, playing offense. And they stop trying to control the ball and run the clock and hope that they can get to the end of the game and still have the victory, right? A lot of churches do that too. But that's not the church of Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus is still on the move. It's still advancing. It's still moving. The Spirit of God has not been contained. It has not been tamed. It has not been slowed down. And it will not be stopped. The question is, will we be a part of that movement of God in this day and time? I wonder if we shouldn't give the church the same definition as that of a fanatic, that we could be a people filled with excessive and single-minded zeal for Jesus. That's my prayer for this church, that we would become individually and collectively like Christ, that we would have the boldness of Peter and John because we, too, have been with Jesus. Let's sing.